Good evening, students. Uh, welcome back to uh, your latest installment of Midweek Online. And I, I actually have some some really good news. For the first time in forever, it feels like I'm going to be able to say this, but uh, this is the last Midweek Online that we will be doing. Uh, so I, I say that tentatively, I guess. I mean, obviously, we never know what can happen in the future, but as far as this go-round, right, uh, as far as this whole situation, tonight will be the last time we will not be able to meet together. So next Wednesday, we will be back in the youth room at 6.30, not 6.45, 6.30. We're going to try to, we're going to finally start on time uh, this time around. Um, but 6.30, just like normal, we'll be meeting, be gathering. I'm super, super excited to be back um, with everybody, seeing everybody. I have to buy a ton of soda for the coffee bar because uh, me and Pastor Michael, we might have taken a few over the last few months. But anyway, uh, it's going to be awesome. Hopefully, we'll see everybody back in the building. And I, just to wrap up, I guess this will be our last, again, hopefully, last time doing this. First of all, I am grateful that this will be the last time doing this. As a tech guy, I enjoy some of this stuff. Like, this mic is pretty cool, I think. Um, I think compared to some other some other youth pastors or some other leaders uh we have we've had a better equipped we've been better equipped for this there's a, my little rubber band came off um we've been so even though i like this sort of stuff and it's been cool to get to do these setups and I, it's kind of driven me to uh add some stuff that i was thinking about adding but just hadn't got to so like for instance a podcast stuff like that this sort of pushed it to that uh, or gave me the opportunity to do that. But with that being said, I am super, super excited to not have to set all this stuff up, not have to deal with technology because technology always gives me problems. Um, and I'm so I'm excited about that. But also, I hope that during this season, even though it's been frustrating and we've all been kind of chomping at the bit to, to get back together, I hope uh, that you have grown. I hope that you have grown in your faith, that you've grown in your uh, endurance in Christ, right? That that you have through this season been able to to hold on tight, which we're going to talk a little bit about tonight. Uh, just hold, been able to hold on tight to to the Lord in this difficult time. Um, and I also hope that it has given you a longing to be back in the church. So I think my biggest takeaway from this whole ordeal is that we we pretty pretty uh, objectively take uh, the local church for granted. So we've never lived in a context where we haven't been able to meet every week, where where we couldn't oversleep for church on Sunday and then be like, well, I, I, I just have another, I'll be able to see him next week. Oh, I'm okay. Or on a Wednesday night, been able to miss, we have homework or or an activity or sports or something, been able to say, well, next week, I'll just get, I'll just pick back up with him. We haven't had that. I was thinking about this uh, a few, a few weeks ago that this situation right now, this is the longest I personally have ever been out of church. Like it's, I've never had excuse me, I've never had a, a time period that's even remotely close to how long this time period has been without church. Like there have been times where I've missed two, maybe three straight weeks because I've been, there's like a vacation that overlaps with something. I don't know. There's been times like that, but never uh, this extended period of time. It's been crazy. So I hope that this has created in you a longing to get back to the church to where we won't take for granted that gathering, that we recognize the importance of physically gathering. The fact that we all miss each other is incredibly important. If we didn't miss each other, if we were like, I'm, I'm good at home, that would be an issue. I would have I would have some problems with that, but that's just not the case. We're all super excited to be back together, and I'm also excited to be back with you guys. So hopefully this has been giving you a newfound thankfulness for the church, not just for Riverstone, but the universal church. And I will also say this too, as I, while I'm still on this topic, uh, if you... We're going to be back at church this Sunday as well. So no drive-in. We are back uh, in the building. If you, There's no pressure to come back to church if your family doesn't feel comfortable with it, even on Wednesday nights. There's no pressure to come back. I'm going to really try uh, to the best of my ability to do some sort of a live stream for anybody who can't go uh, or doesn't feel comfortable going on Wednesday. So we're going to try to do that. Um, so there's, there's definitely no pressure. But if you are ready to come back, and I'm talking specifically to you students, the parents watching, hey, I'm also talking to you a little bit, but mostly the students. If you are comfortable back, if your family is comfortable coming back to church, don't 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 not show up Sunday and then show up on Wednesday. 
something that we were going to emphasize all this year that kind of got put off because of this situation is the importance of being there on Sunday mornings too. So I know we have students that don't go to Riverstone. That's fine. If your church is on, if your church is, uh, is in it, excuse me, if your church is starting back up, up, up on Sunday, or if it's already started back up, go, go to church somewhere. Do whatever the next closest equivalent is. If it isn't back in session, watch the live watch the live feed. The point is that when we get back, we should be excited to see each other, to be to see each other on Wednesdays, to worship together. But we at Riverstone students is a part of Riverstone Fellowship. So we need to be back on Sundays. I want to see whenever this gets back to normal and whenever we're at full capacity, I want to see our section of the of the sanctuary packed like every week. I don't want to see like two or three people because I see 15, 16, 17, sometimes 20, 21 people there on Wednesday nights. I want to see that on Sunday too. So if you're comfortable, come back on Sunday, not just Wednesday. With all that being said, we are going to pick up in Psalm chapter 13 tonight as we continue in our series on the first uh, book of the Psalms. Um, and we're kind of wrapping up, like I said, this first little mini section. So I segmented it off a little bit where the, the first one was its own little introduction to the Psalms. Then the second section, which we've been in right now, uh, it's three messages. And it's been kind of talking about uh, David's struggle, David's plight. Throughout, throughout the Psalms, there are a lot, there are a lot of lamenting. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of anguish. And we've been sort of spending some time talking about that. The first week we spent time talking about his uh, intimate prayer life, how that, how that sort of, how he always took to, uh, with these situations that were in front of him, he always took it to God. And that moved into uh, this discussion last week about abandonment, where David felt like he had been abandoned, but not just him, specifically that the people uh, or that people have been or had been oppressed and they had been uh, uh, in just in constant turmoil, being stomped on by people who who were better off than them. David was asking, where are you for those people? That's where his anguish is at, saying, how have you abandoned those people? And then tonight we're going to wrap up this little section because next week we're going to this is actually kind of it's it's funny how this stuff works, how it lines up. Next week we're going to go through Psalm 23, which is. I, in, in my opinion, my, I mean, it's my favorite psalm. It's one of the most famous uh, 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 paragraphs or most famous chapters in Scripture, and it's just perfect that we get to talk about that uh, the very first night that we're back together. Um, but tonight we're going to wrap up this first section about um, turmoil, about David's struggle, speaking on a very, very common refrain among Christians, something that I've said several times over this last week which is, and it's this, David actually utters this phrase. It's very similar to last week, but he utters this phrase this time towards uh, God about himself rather than about other people. His, his, this, this phrase, this thing that he says is, How long, O Lord? Now, tonight is somewhat ironic because uh, whenever I would maybe say, How long, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, How long, O Lord? I might have been speaking about how long until we're back in church. Now we know. <laughs> A week. We're back. Or even if on, for Sunday, we're back this Sunday, so a few days. But for David and for Christians, for it, not just Christians, for anybody, I guess, even non-Christians that might throw up a prayer just any time they're in a time of turmoil, this is a common refrain. How long, O Lord? This idea, I love this idea, where David is just asking the Lord, I've been in it, I've been going through the ringer, how much longer? And it's this, we're going to talk today about this subject. Uh, we're we're going we're to hear him ask the Lord how long, but we're going to see it through the lens of waiting. That's sort of our key phrase tonight is waiting. Last week was abandonment. This week is waiting. All of us have been through seasons of waiting in one way or another. You wait, we wait on different things, but we have all waited on the Lord to either show us something, uh, to give us something, and not, and not just in the Christian life. We've waited for things just in general. I think about uh, whenever we fasted for Easter, this Saturday before Easter, I waited to eat a meal <laughs> whenever I was able to, and it was awesome. Like, I was so hungry, which just shows how, how weak I am when it comes to fasting. But we wait for even, even nominal things. Like this today, to use another food example, today at work, I, I didn't get a chance to eat breakfast, so I 
was sitting there at work and like for from like 10 o'clock to noon, I was just thinking about lunch. I was like, how long, oh Lord, until lunch, right? So we, we, we wait for all sorts of stuff, not just big stuff. Now there should be a sort of longing in the Christian heart similar to David's here, where he's not just talking about, he's not talking about lunch. He's talking about big stuff. He's talking about how long until this turmoil, until this pain is over. How long until you will show your face to me again? There should be a longing in every Christian's heart for uh, what I'm going to call uh, glory. Something that, that it's, a, it's a desire for us to either be with Jesus. Like that's a desire that a lot of times David in the Psalms talks about, that Paul talks a lot about is how long until I just get to see you? I'm tired of this earth stuff. Like how long until you take me home? There's a desire or should be a desire in Christians to be with Christ. But there's also a desire to see, uh, or there's also this desire to see glory because we see the crazy amount of brokenness in our own lives or in the lives of other people. That's where David was at last week. He saw this innate brokenness and he was like, God, how much longer? Why do we have to continue watching these people go through affliction when these terrible people are getting away with it? These guilty people, they're not, you're not holding them accountable. That was what broke him. That's what, that's what made him sort of push to this, this, this position of praise of seeking glory, of saying, we cannot wait until this, until you finally bring justice on these matters. Last week, David's broken spirit was the result of watching other people suffer. Now this week, this week, David's is going to be about his own suffering. So last week, it was all about injustice, saying, how long does it, will this injustice endure before God finally takes action? This is ironic. It, it happened or this, this story kind of broke uh, after I'd already preached that message last week. But this idea has been in my mind all week as I've thought about this story about this man. Um, excuse me, sorry. Uh, about the story about this man named Ahmad Arbery. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna go in to detail about it, but it was just a terrible tragedy that happened, and it was it was this incredibly unjust thing. And just throughout the week, I was sitting thinking, like, why does this stuff keep happening? Like, when will this stuff stop? Why is there always just another story after another story of another story about injustice, about brokenness, about pain? This week, though, David is going to spend time talking about his own personal brokenness. Specifically, he's in this season of waiting on the Lord. And I always find comf- or, uh, comfort in scriptures where I can, I can sort of feel the author's pain. I can relate to them. They aren't necessarily, now David is way above me spiritually. He's way above everybody. He's a man after God's own heart. Like he's this epic dude. But it's cool to read in Psalms whenever we read something like this and we can be like, hey, I've felt that. Like I've been in that exact spot. I find comfort whenever I see David struggling with something that I struggle with. Today, David is literally asking how long the Lord will forget him. How long until the Lord will shine on his face again? How long until he will answer? How long until he will, be able, he will open David's eyes? How long will he hide his face from David? And David is crying out to God, but God is not answering. Waiting is something, like I said, it's something that every single person experiences. But for the Christian, it can be especially frustrating because we know that there is a God in heaven that is listening to us. David knows this. We know there's a God in heaven that not only is listening to us, but has the power to act. That's why David was frustrated last week. That's why I was frustrated this week about that or thinking about that story. He has the ability to stop this stuff. He has the ability to answer prayers. So it can be frustrating to us. Whenever we are praying and seeking him out, that he is not answering. It can be trying. It can be difficult. When he doesn't answer, when we are made to sit in our pain, in our anguish, we start to wonder if God isn't doing anything. We start to wonder if God is even there. And that's, that's very, very uh, common whenever we are in waiting seasons, whenever we are in transition seasons, which by the way, a lot of you guys, a lot of you students, not just all guys, not just, and when I say all you guys, I obviously mean everybody. Anyway, um, for a lot of you students, these transition seasons are coming. <laughs> My biggest one was college. 
which that's not, I'm not saying that that's going to be everybody's, but my biggest transition season was college where I felt like I was in between like adult life or like going and doing what I wanted to do with my life and in high school and moving on. And in college, I just really struggled in that season of like, I am tired of this space. <laughs> like I'm just tired of it. I'm not saying that's going to be you, but for a lot of sen- juniors, seniors in high school, you're going to get to a point where there's going to be this transition period of waiting of saying, well, when is, uh, what, what, what career path am I going to take? And then after that, well, what is going to be, what's going to be my first job? When am I going to get that first job? So transition waiting, that is a natural part of the human experience. And David, David is in this season and he is unable to endure any longer. He is asking the Lord to act, to move, to show his face. So in seasons, when we are unable to endure any longer, it's a season that I have experienced before, a season I'm sure that you guys have experienced before, the, the, the discouragement of unanswered prayers, of, of unremedied pain can be overbearing. But we have to look to David as an example for how to endure, for how to walk through that, specifically by doing two things, by calling upon the Lord again, Okay, by, by going back to him again and by remembering his goodness, remembering and, having, and asking him to restore to us the joy of our salvation, to remember his steadfast love. So let's read Psalm 13 together. It's only six verses. David writes, he says this, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my own soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. My adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Now, before we get into dive into this text, I do want to just note this. Um, or I just want to ask you and challenge you to think about this as we're studying. This is only a six-verse psalm, but just just take a minute as you're listening to me speak to just read the first verse and then read the last verse and ask yourself, how the heck do we get there? Ask yourself, how did David get to this point where he's saying, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? And then he gets at the end to, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So ask yourself that as we're learning this. Engage with the test. Ask, how is David getting to that point and how can I get to that point? So that's a side note, but just keep that in the back of your head. But we're going to, now we're going to just look at verses one through two. We're going to kind of start with this, uh, these opening questions. David opens this Psalm with a series of questions. He, I think it's five total, but they all uh, have to do with the same thing. They're all alluding to the same thing. How long? How much longer? David is in the midst of, of trial in the midst of sorrow, but more than the trial itself, he just wants to know when it's going to be over, <laughs> which I'm sure that, that can, that's the case of a lot of you that have went through trials. It's the nature of uh, what makes torture, torture. It's one of the reasons why torture is like banned by like international law and stuff. Like it's not okay because torture is, it's effective because people don't know the, when the end is coming. That's why it's effective. Whenever someone doesn't know when something's going to end, when pain's going to end, whenever struggle's going to end, it makes it incredibly difficult to endure, to continue pressing on. That's where David's at. He just, he, he's fine with, I want to say he's fine with it, but he, he is okay with the idea of trial. He just wants to know how much longer. That's something that pretty much every single person has experienced. We like schedules. We like timetables. We, we like to know when things are happening. So I'm actually going to give two examples to try to get to the heart of this, to get to the heart of, of David's problem. So this first example, I'm in eighth grade, okay? I'm in eighth grade. And I was uh, going on a vacation to Washington, D.C. in New York. Now, I, growing up, I was a gigantic history buff. I still am. I still love history, but I was, I was super excited to like go to Washington to see all the monuments, to see the White House, to see specifically the Smithsonian's, all that stuff. Like I was, I was amped. I was so excited. And then we were going to go to New York as well. 
and I love big cities still to this day. Love big cities. Um, I go to my, when my friend lived in Chicago, I went there often because I just loved, I love Chicago. Um, so I was really excited. I'd never been to a big city. I've been to Kansas city, but that doesn't really count. Um, as like a huge city. New York is a gigantic city. So I was really excited about that. And, uh, I was going to get to go see a Yankees game and it was the last season that they were playing in the, in the old Yankee stadium. So I was super excited. This trip was in the summer. I knew about it, like probably the summer before. So I had a whole school year to wait for it. And it was absolutely miserable. Now that I'm only, I'm only identifying this trip. There were other trips that I took that were the exact same experience and not just trips either. There were uh, baseball tournaments where I knew it was on Friday. New baseball tournament was on Friday. And the Monday of that week, I was just like, this is going to be a long week. Like that's, that's just the, that's just true of almost anything that we are excited about the week before the months before the years before are difficult. They are super frustrating. It, it takes forever. I can remember how miserable I was like in September looking at the calendar thinking I have like seven more months and that's true of school too. Like, I don't know if I'm, I'm sure that you guys have experienced this where, where you look at the calendar in like October of the school year and you're like, okay, we've gotten through two months, but I have like six months left. And you're, and, and, and you're just like already done with school. That's how I was like my junior and senior year of high school. That's how I was. But there's, there's also anticipation, right? There's excitement. When I, when I got there, whenever I finally, whenever we took that trip and I was like in Washington and in New York, it was awesome. It was one of the best trips I ever took. Second example, I am a junior in college. Okay. This is 2015 and the Royals win the world series. Now, you guys have obviously heard me talk about the Royals, um, but it, it's almost been five years since that happened. I still like have to pinch myself sometimes. Just like remember that it was a thing that actually happened. You want to know why I have to? Because for, uh, for my entire childhood, they were terrible. Like they were just awful. Like just the worst team ever. And every single year, young Ryan would ask God, when is my favorite team going to be good? Like I didn't need them to be World Series good. I just needed them to be good enough that all my stupid Cardinal fans at school, all my stupid friends would stop making fun of me or, or I guess they didn't really make fun of me. They poked fun at me. That's a better word. I was not bullied for being a Royals fan, but I, it was, it would be nice to like where they would actually be like respectable. So I didn't get uh, taunted by my, again, stupid Cardinal fan friends. There was no, there was no, excuse me, excuse me. There was uh, there was no end in sight. Right? There was no end in sight uh, with, with this second example with the Royals. There was no end in sight until it actually came, until they actually won. And if they had lost, I would still be waiting with no, it's open-ended. With a vacation, you wait and you're excited and you anticipate, but then you have a set date when it's there. With other stuff, it, it, like with open-ended stuff, it's just sort of out there. That's where David's at right now. This is not, a, oh, this is not a, a due date situation. This is not a, once I get to this calendar, this isn't like you're doing the Daniel fast and you're ready to, to eat something better than you've been eating for the last month and you're just counting down the days. This is not that. This is David in a prolonged struggle, in a prolonged trial, wondering when, when is it going to be over? Now, David, at this time, he's not a, uh, he's not a well-liked person. Things are not going super well in his life. And it doesn't seem like David has a, uh, any sins to repent of. A lot of times we'll see in the Psalms, he'll, he'll repent of sins. He'll ask God to, to cleanse his heart. But this is not, that's not what's happening here. It just seems as though David is in the midst of this turmoil and he is at the end of his leash. He's tired. He's beat. He's done fighting. He doesn't know why it's happening. And whenever you don't know why something is happening, that just saps your strength, takes your energy away. Now he thinks that God is punishing him too. Look at verse, uh, look at verse two. He says, how long shall I take counsel in my soul? When he says, how long, have I take, how long should I take counsel in my soul? He's saying, how long should I look inward and try to examine myself and try to find whatever I did wrong to cause this? I think of Job's friends. Whenever Job, whenever Job starts, starts uh, when his kids start dropping like flies and his animals start dropping like flies and everything's going terrible, his friends are like, dude, what'd you do wrong? Just repent, repent. Please save your children. Repent of your sin. 
They thought that he did something. That's where David's at right now. He's thinking like, how long? Like, I'm trying to examine myself. I can't find anything. What did I do? David's burden, it keeps getting heavier. And I also want to note real quick, I don't want to go too far in this. Um, if you are in a season of waiting, prolonged waiting, or specifically, this is, this is David waiting for this trial to end, but he also is waiting for God to just reveal himself to David again. So he says, enlighten my eyes, right? When he says, enlighten my eyes, uh, in, in a sense, that is David saying, please just reveal yourself to me again. Uh, almost like ignite the fire of the Holy Spirit again, where where if you read scripture and you're just like super tired of reading scripture, not getting anything out of it, um, you might you might ask God to uh, uh, enlighten or to open your eyes to stuff again, to make you have a desire to read scripture. Now, if you're in that place, where you're just like, you've no desire to read scripture, you've no desire to go to church, you've no desire to seek the things of God. What David is doing is not wrong. He's in a prolonged trial though. So whenever he, whenever he, he's at this point where he's like, I've asked, I've, I've, I've reflected, I have sought out what I've been doing. I don't know what, what sin I might be doing. He's already been in it for a minute. But if you're entering that season, if you are, even if it is a prolonged season, you should Ask God and evaluate your sin life. It is a good and healthy thing whenever you are struggling to look for unrepentant sin, to look for habitual sin, because that stuff will drain you. That's the sort of stuff that, that, the, that, that almost like quenches the Holy Spirit in your life, where you're just constantly sinning, not repenting of it, where it's habitual. So that's important. That's a side note. But if you're in a season like this, evaluate yourself. If there is unrepentant sin, you need to deal with it. Anyway, back to our subject, or to our topic. David, his burden, he, it keeps getting heavier. Not only is he waiting, but he doesn't feel like God's there. Similar to last week, he didn't feel like God was there answering his prayers. He didn't feel like he was, he was hearing it. Now, we learned at the end of the week last week that David actually does know that he's there. And it's the same, it's the same thing here, so spoiler. But, but he is speaking as if he doesn't feel that way. He knows that God's there, doesn't feel it. Now he's wondering what he did to cause it. And finally, he wonders how long his enemies will be victorious over him. You can feel David's exhaustion. He says, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? Now he was, he was angry at these oppressors last week for taking advantage of, of people and, and for uh, being unjust. Now he's mad at those same people saying, why are my enemies the ones that are prevailing? I'm supposed to be the anointed king. Why are they the ones that are, that are, that are uh, 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 prevailing? He's exhausted. You can feel it. These aren't the words of a super confident, powerful man. These are the words of someone who is tired and done and finished. The first thing that comes to mind or came to my mind whenever I read how long, ironically, or somewhat uh, making light of it, is a, is a young child in the back of a car saying, are we there yet? That's the first thing I thought of. Whenever it's just a natural thing. You're like tired of being in that car, and you're like, "Are we there yet?" Seriously, and then it gets longer. Like, "Oh my gosh, please, are we there yet?" I'm going to die. That's usually how children. That's how kids act. It's like a like a 25 minute car ride, and they're just in the back, like sprawled out, thinking that the world's ending. But the same principle does apply. There's a discomfort. There's a for a child that doesn't have a concept. Like, if I drive to Kansas City, I know like. Oh, once I get to Clinton, there's, there's like an hour or so left. A kid doesn't know that. A kid's sitting in the back, been in a car for however long, thinking this is, we're going to be in this car forever. That's kind of where David, that's, that's his mindset here. Charles Spurgeon, he says that a week within prison walls is longer than a month at liberty. As we wait, right? As we wait, as we feel like we are in prison, the days get longer and longer and longer. There's a reason why it seems like the good seasons of our life go by super fast and then the hard seasons extend forever. And finally, the Christian gets to a point where they just want relief from the situation. Have you ever been there? Like, I know I have been in a position where I just wanted it to be over. I just wanted it to be done. I've been to that place where... Um, I've been in a place where more than wanting something specific from God, I just, whatever I wanted from him, I just wanted this, whatever season to end. But the, the temptation in seasons of waiting is to interpret that waiting as abandonment, as David did last week, 
and turn from God, to move, to move on to something else. There's no greater temptation whenever we feel like God has, God has gone away than to turn from Him. But David does what we should all do in, a, in this season, in this type of situation. He prays again. <laughs> he seeks God again. Look at verse 3. It says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my adversaries will rejoice, will rejoice when I am shaken. Now, I like this part where consider and answer me. I'm, I'm reading out of the NASB. Usually I read, I read out of the ESV, but I'm reading out of the NASB today. And, it's, it, and the NASB is interesting because it will put emphasis, it will italicize words of emphasis, um, which the ESV doesn't do. And it says in verse 3, when it says consider and answer me, and is italicized. So David, this is a two-part question. Consider and answer me. We see this song, we see this a pattern already in the Psalms. I've talked about it several times now where, where David uh, is, is seeking first God's consideration and then his answer. I think of uh, yesterday, I had a hard time putting my finger on this, this idea or, or trying to find some sort of metaphor or illustration, but I was watching uh, this TV show today and this, there's this, it was a lady, she was in this like handshake line trying to shake hands with the president and she like had this little folder. So she was like giving, she was trying to give it to, to like one of his aides or something. And she was just literally trying to like, here, give this to uh, the president so that he will read it. And there's this whole process where, where she was just trying to get the president to read what she said. She just wanted, she just wanted him, she didn't want necessarily an answer from him. She just wanted him to consider it. But it made me, it made me think of, the process of seeking help from someone as powerful as a president. It's not just like asking for a favor. You have to make your case. You have to be like, here's a good reason why you should read this. Here's a good reason why this should occupy some of your day. Asking them to do something isn't the first step of the process. Getting in the room is the first step of the process. He has to be willing to listen. Now there is natural humility in that. You can't come in super... uh, uh, you can't come in with a what's the word super hard headed I guess where you're like you need to you absolutely need to hear this this is the most important thing that you'll see today the president's like you know what probably not <laughs> I I see a lot of important stuff there's humility in that in that request cycle where we are waiting on someone to consider us now the 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 good thing about that thinking and applying this to to David's situation is that we don't have to do anything to earn God's consideration. Like we're not, we don't have to make a good pitch. We don't have to do that. We just need to ask him. David just asks him. But even the, just the act of asking for his consideration, knowing that he doesn't even necessarily need to ask, knowing that God's going to consider him, even if he just goes straight into the question, he does it anyway. That shows this, this, this sort of humility of David and this reverence towards God, that he is not viewing God as like his personal butler as is like handyman, like that's not how he views God. He views God as you are God. You created the universe. You are worthy of all things. If you would so much as just look at me and consider my problem, I would be. I, it would be way more than I deserve. That's David's perspective. That's the way he's coming after this. He is humble. He is desperate, right? He's desperate, but he is meek. He still understands that God's will is God's will. Right at the end of the day, that God's will is God's will, and that He also knows that God's will is best. There's a quote by a guy named E. Stanley Jones, and he says that if I throw my boat hook from the boat and catch hold of the shore and pull, do I pull the shore to me, or do I, or do I pull myself to the shore? Prayer is not pulling God to my will, but the aligning of my will to the will of God. So whenever we to use that analogy, if if you if you grab onto um, or here's a good example. I'll actually flip it a little bit. If someone throws you like a life, a little life buoy thing from like a, from a boat, you're not going to pull that boat to you. They're going to pull you to that boat. We have to think about that. We have to consider that whenever we pray, we should be wanting to conform ourselves to the will of God. That should be what we're seeking. God's will in our lives. In times of waiting, we have to come with the right mindset. God wants to hear our cries. He wants to hear our petitions. He wants to hear our requests. But we have to be okay 
with the fact that he might say no, or that he might say not yet, or that he might give us a completely different answer. We have to have the right heart. Your will be done, Lord. Your will be done. Whatever may come, your will be done. We need that sort of surrender to God's will, to have a healthy prayer life, to have a healthy, uh, uh, to wait well. It's really, listen, if, you, if you're in seasons of waiting and if you're in seasons of prayer and requests of God, if your heart is bent towards what you want, if our, if our mindset is, I know what I want, it, there's something, I, I don't know the exact word, but um, it's an idea, it's, a, it's just this concept that if you, you can read anything into, so here's an example, um, if you gave me, if I had a conviction about something or if I had an opinion about something, right? So for instance, uh, I, I, I'm, I obviously love baseball, I love baseball stats. If I had an opinion on something, so for my, my opinion is the bunning is terrible, like I, I think it's a terrible, terrible thing. Now, if I, if you give me statistics that in any way back up that opinion, that's confirmation bias is what it's called. That's the word I was looking for. So anything that, that agrees with my opinion, I'm going to be like, see, look at this. There's evidence. But I mean, there's obviously more to the story. We can have confirmation bias in our own prayer life. We're not really praying to see God and what he wants. We're not praying to seek his will. We're praying to confirm what we want is what he wants. And if he doesn't want it, then obviously we're just not hearing it right. Just like if you, if you uh, start to want a certain car, you all of a sudden you'll like see it everywhere. That's why, that's why this sort of coincidental prayer or coincidental prayer method where you're like looking for signs all over the place is ineffective because your brain knows what it wants. And if you're praying that way, your brain's going to see what it wants and you're going to see signs that you want to see that confirm what you want. Now, here's the good news. God doesn't care. God's will is still going to be done. The bad news is you're going to think that something God's will that isn't or something that you're going to think that something is God's will when it isn't and it's not actually going to work out for you. We don't get to manipulate that process. We have to be surrendered to God's will first and foremost. That surrender here with David is reinforced by knowing that God has the power to answer his prayer. So look at verse three. When he says, listen, he says, consider, right? We talked about consider. He says, and answer me. There's confidence in that. He's saying, God, I know you can, so answer me. Consider and answer my prayers. It says, enlighten me, or enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. Verse 3 and verse 1 sort of contradict each other in a similar way that last week's text sort of contradicted each other, where the very first verse and the last verse was way different. Contradicts itself, verse 3 and verse 1, in the sense that if David thinks that the Lord is forgetting him, then why on earth is he praying to him again? If he says, how, when he says, how long, oh Lord, will you forget me forever? Why would he pray to him if he's forgetting him? It doesn't make sense. John Calvin, he says that if David had not been persuaded that God had his eyes upon him, it would have availed him nothing to cry to God. But this, persu- this persuasion was the effect of faith. In other words, if David didn't think that God had his eyes on him, he would have no motivation to pray. If you're praying to someone that doesn't answer, there is no reason to continue praying. If you're praying to someone who doesn't hear, there's no motivation to continue praying. But David did. David prayed again. And then again, he prayed one more time, even after his last prayer came up empty. That's the true test of of waiting on God, either in a spiritual sense, or if you're waiting for physical restoration or for a specific request. Do you have another prayer in you, like the next one? I'm not asking for like 5, 10, 15 prayers. I mean, do do you have the next prayer in you? Do you have the next moment of of seeking the Lord? We get very intimidated by thinking of, we start to look at the calendar and you're like, man, if I pray, what am I going to have to pray? A year, two years, three years, four years? We can't think of it like that. This is day by day. This is, I I don't know what God's going to do next, but I'm going to pray today what David's doing. I'm going to pray today. How long, O Lord, will you forget me? Even so, he's going to pray. True surrender is painful. It is difficult. David is tired. He is spiritually exhausted. He is expressing that he feels like God has forgotten him, that he feels like God is hiding his face from him. But David prays again. I really latched on to this idea of praying again. I love this analogy. You guys know 
Um, I'll probably use this analogy next week because I always do. And to honor our first time back together, maybe I will. Um, but I always talk about taking that next step that if someone won't take a step towards you, you want to take that next step or take that next step. Same with prayer. Always just say that next one. Say one more. When you've reached your breaking point, whenever you are done crying out to God, do it one more time. And then after that next time, whenever you're done again, do it one more time. Think of that in, in regards of sin too. Whenever you think that sin has beaten down the doors of your life, whenever you can no longer deal with it, whenever you've no shot at beating it, give it the fight of your life. <laughs> just, just one more time. Give it the fight of your life and then do it again. Whenever I, whenever I, whenever I say the <clears throat> day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, it's not just because it was like a catchy phrase. It's because that's how the Christian has to live their life. You will get overwhelmed if you think, man, I have to pray. I need to pray every single day for the next five years. What? No, just today, just today, just this minute, just whatever you're, whenever you're in that moment, that is the moment you need to be focused on. Jesus says to not be anxious about tomorrow. We don't know. Tomorrow has enough anxiety, enough difficulties of its own. Let's just deal with today. I can guarantee you that this prayer of David was not just was ju- was not just the first one. He had many just like it. In fact, we kind of see that at the end of verse three when he says, "Light up my eyes." Light up my eyes is you could read it as, "Let me see you again in darkness." He says, "Please, Lord, even if you're not going to answer this, get me out of this trial. Just let me see you again. Let me feel the comfort of of your presence again." And listen, in times when you're waiting on the Lord, the heaviest temptation will be the temptation to stop, to stop praying, to stop seeking, to stop pushing. That's what the enemy wants. And, and you can't give in to that. You have to keep going. You have to keep pushing. In verse 4, in verse 4, when it says that, And my enemy will, have, will say, I have overcome him. My adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. That is speaking specifically of David's enemies, right? There's specific enemies, so we don't want to take it out of context. But at the same time, this is an application to our own lives. Who do you think stands to gain the most if you lay down your weapons, if you stop praying, if you stop seeking, if you stop pushing? Who benefits the most? I think of the joy that Satan finds whenever a saint stops praying, whenever, whenever a Christian stops pursuing, stops pushing and just gives up. He's sitting there saying, yeah, I I did it. I prevailed over him. I won. David does not want that to happen. He will not let that happen. happen. And in the meantime, he is falling back on what he knows to be true. This is in seasons of waiting. This is where we find our comfort in verses five through six. When it says that I've trusted in your loving kindness. And in the the ESV, it says uh, your steadfast love. I've trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. For centuries, people have kind of joked about David's uh, writing style. Charles Spurgeon, he said that his heart was more often out of tune than his harp was. (laughs) So essentially saying that he starts so many Psalms with either great sorrow or great joy, and then ends those same exact Psalms with either great sorrow or great joy, whatever the opposite is. And I believe this is the case because David can be caught up in a momentary trial. Like I talked about a little bit last week, he can be caught up in a trial, not understand why it's happening, but still not lose sight of the Lord's eternal promises. Those eternal promises never shake, never waver, no matter how much he is tossed like a wave at sea. Those things never change. There is nothing more beneficial during any season of waiting, during any season of trial. There's nothing better, more beneficial than remembering God's steadfast love, his loving kindness, and holding tight to it. Just like that, that hook that we talked about, uh, throwing it to shore when, it's, when they're pulling you in. Just holding on, like a death grip on that rope. Just not letting go. Hold on to the promises that you know, because those things will not change. That trial might end. You might get the prayer request that you wanted. You might get the answer you wanted. You might not get the answer that you wanted. Regardless of what answer it is, God is still good. He's still on the throne. He still bought you at a price. David's holding on to that steadfast love, even if it is not abundantly clear and evident to him in the moment. Notice that he says that I have trusted in your loving kindness. 
In other words, at some point in the past, he trusted the Lord. And he's going to rejoice in that loving kindness, in that steadfast love until his time has passed. He's not saying that right now he feels that abundant trust. He's going back to the moment of salvation. That's why it says in verse, uh, uh, at the end of verse 5, when he says, My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. He's remembering his salvation. In Psalm 51, 12, David asked God to rejoice or restore to him the joy of his salvation. That is, that is a significant way to fight trials, is to just remember the goodness of salvation, the joy of having eternal security. That's what we fall back on. And what I love about this text is that it doesn't give an end date for this waiting. He doesn't explain how God got him out of this mess. We don't see that. We don't see an explanation of how he got out of it. He just falls back on the goodness and the love and the mercy of God, on his salvation. Spurgeon says that David is sure of his faith, and his faith makes him sure. All the powers of his enemies had not driven the psalmist from his stronghold. Our stronghold is our salvation. Whatever happens around us will not shake that. It cannot change that. It cannot take it from you. There is waiting to be done, but there is joy to be had in waiting. The question is, though, as we wrap up, as always, what is your source of joy? We get frustrated in waiting because we're waiting on something specific. If I had waited all that time to go to Washington, D.C. and New York, and my parents pulled a 180 and were like, surprise, we're going to Branson, I would have been pretty mad. would have been pretty frustrated because I was waiting on something specific. But too often, too often the things that we are waiting on are actually idols. They aren't bad things in and of themselves but we turn them into idols. We place them too high. We elevate them too high. Put them on a pedestal. We need, as Jesus talks about in John 6, we need living bread. He talks about living water as well. We need something more than we think we want. David, as desperately as desperate as he is to get out of his situation, he understood this. He knew that this light, momentary affliction was nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory that was waiting on him. He was dead set on seeking the will of God. So if you're waiting on God, you need to be reminded of that. You need to be reminded that even in your season of waiting, Jesus is still better. And even if he gives you what you want, he's still going to be better. Even as the season ends, he is still going to be better. You need to be reminded of God's steadfast love, his love and kindness. Because to experience that steadfast love requires you to trust in that steadfast love as your hope. That is the hope that we have, is his loving kindness, his steadfast love. Steadfast, what does that word mean? Steadfast means uh, enduring. That's what, what's the way that James describes uh, trials. He says, Consider it all pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, for it will produce steadfastness, the ability to endure. Steadfast love, God's love endures. That thing you want, that stuff you want, that answer to prayer that you want might be a good thing, might help you out, might be a wonderful blessing from God, but it is not steadfast. Only God's love is steadfast. Verse 6 is a beautiful verse. It's why we sing on Sunday mornings. He writes that I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Now I want to go back to that original question. Really, David? He has dealt bountifully with you? It doesn't seem like you like he dealt bountifully with you. I can't say that word. <laughs> doesn't feel like you think that he's dealt bountifully with you. So how do we get to that point? Like I asked at the beginning, how do we get all the way from how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? All the way to I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Excuse me. How do we get to that point? It's his trust. His trust is in steadfast love. His hope is in the steadfast love of Christ, not in whatever the answer is, whatever the result of this trial is. That's why Paul is able to say to live as Christ, to die is gain. Because his trust, his hope is not in, I hope God saves me and allows me to not die. That's not his hope. His hope is if I don't die, I have a lot of work to do. If I do, I get to be with Jesus. He can sing of that. He can say that God has dealt bountifully with him, not because of some answer to prayer, not because of that. He dealt bountifully with David whenever he reached into the muck and mire of David's sin and pulled David out without any doing on David, 
without any any active part from David. There was no there was no wiping himself down. There was no fixing himself up, cleaning himself up. God stuck his hand in, grabbed him, made him clean, bought him with the blood of Christ, saved him, gave him eternal security. That is what David worships. That is what David means when he says that the Lord has dealt bountifully with me. We can always fall back on our salvation. So listen, keep praying, keep pushing, keep seeking, and be reminded of your salvation. Do not ever lose sight of that. True joy, the true joy from of the Christian is that for whatever reason that we cannot ever fathom or understand, the Lord gave us life. He sought us out. He grabbed us. He saved us. We can always fall back on that because that will never, ever go away. Let's pray. Father, we are just so incredibly thankful that your love is steadfast. Unlike so many of the other things in our lives that are fickle, that fade so quickly, we are grateful that your love will not be deterred. It will not fall off course. Lord, I just pray for these students as they continue going about their week, that you would continue to give them or continue to remind them of the joy of their salvation, that they would not get caught up in the pain of their everyday life, of the struggle that they are in, of the waiting period that they are in, that they would remember their salvation, that it would bring joy to them, Lord. Father, we are just so excited to gather together this Sunday and then on Wednesday to be back together. We are grateful for the church, for the local church, that we get to be in a fellowship, a community of believers, Lord. I just pray that every single student, that they would just be chomping at the bit to get back in that building. They'd be so excited to gather with each other to worship you. We just love you and we praise you in everything that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, have a good rest of the week. Um, I'm super excited to see everybody next week. So uh, be there on Sunday, be there on Wednesday. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be so, so good to just be back, to get to be back in the house of the Lord. So I'm really excited to see you. I hope that hope you guys can all make it. 